0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings America, welcome. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, it is Eric Erickson here. I am delighted to be with you. I played for you yesterday. Oh, let me see if I can go back and find it. Uh, where was this? The the John, the the Fetterman exchange. John Fetterman yesterday in the United States Senate had an exchange and it did not go well. It was just sad to see. Um, Poor old Fetterman asking the former CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, he, he purporting to ask a question. This is just, this is painful. This isn't being, I'm not making this up. I'm going to let play it. You can hear him in his own words.
1: Is is it staggering? Is it a staggering response? Responsibility that a, the that the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy. It's astonishing. That's like if you have, I mean, like and and they also realize is that 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 now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved by no again by no matter no how, you know. So it's it's you know isn't it appropriate that the, those kinds of the, this kind of control should be more stricter to prevent this kind of thing from going or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank regardless of how how their their conduct is you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the Republicans want to give a, a work requirement for SNAP. You know, for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, requirements. Shouldn't you have a working requirement after we sell your bank with billions of your bank? Because they seem be more preoccupied uh, when than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about protecting the tax, the tax papers you know that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it.
0: That was John Fetterman. To quote him precisely, this is this is the issue here. I'm going to read for you now a portion of what John Fetterman purported to ask in the Senate. This is the actual transcript. Shouldn't you have some kind of working required sue after we sale your bank uh, billions of your bank? Because you seem we were preoccupied uh, when uh, then snap uh, requirements for work for uh, hungry people, but not about pro protecting the tax tax papers you know that will bail them out of whatever does about a bank to crash it. Those are his words. Those are his words. I got the audio to prove it. Those are his words. Jeff Stein, writer for The Washington Post, says, Senator John Fetterman to Silicon Valley Bank Executive Greg Baker asked, shouldn't you have a working requirement after we bail out your bank? Republicans seem to be more preoccupied with SNAP requirements for hungry people than protecting taxpayers that have to bail out these banks. That's not what John Fetterman asked. That is not what John Fetterman asked. John Fetterman specifically asked about protecting tax papers, not taxpayers, and not about bailing out your bank, but sale your bank. Billions of your bank, uh, notice the damage control because Fetterman is useful to them. The media picks which members of the Senate drool caucus they wish to protect and they wish to protect John Fetterman because Pennsylvania is considered a swing state. They need to make John Fetterman look good after pouring so much energy into helping John Fetterman get elected. But Dianne Feinstein at this point is expendable. I, again, I played you the audio of Fetterman. I wasn't making that up. This is John Fetterman.
1: Because they seem to be more pre- preoccupied uh, than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about pr- protecting the, ta- the tax papers, you know, that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank. To
0: that you, That's John Fetterman in his own words. You heard him say tax paper, not taxpayers. Well, Diane Feinstein encountered Jim Newell, a liberal reporter for the Slate publication. He writes, I asked her how she was feeling. Oh, I'm feeling fine. I have a problem with my leg. A fellow reporter asked what was wrong with her leg. Well, nothing that's anyone's concern but mine. When a fellow reporter asked her what the response from her colleagues has been since she returned, she says, no, I haven't been gone. You should follow the, I haven't been gone, I've been working. When asked whether she meant that she'd been working from home, she turned feisty. No, I've been here. I've been voting. Please, you either know or don't know. Diane Feinstein, the rumor mill on Capitol Hill among Republican and Democrats is that she has dementia. She has really good days where she's sharp as a tack. And there are other days she doesn't know who anyone is and gets very confused. It's very sad. She's the oldest member of the Senate. She's been there a very long time. This is all she has. And let's be real honest here, folks. She's not running for re-election. Assuming she makes it to the end, uh, we're going to be reading her obituary within a year. She has nothing to keep her going except this. The problem is This is the world's greatest deliberative body, and it's turned into a drool caucus. Now, this is the way it's been for a very long time, truth be told. We had Strom Thurmond there for a long time. We had Robert Byrd there for a long time. Uh, The Senate has a history of continuing to re-elect people who have lost it. Um, You had, for example, if you will remember, uh, the situation with Thad Cochran. Thad Cochran, was fairly certain most people believe he had Alzheimer's. At the end of his time, he announced he would retire from the Senate. He began missing votes regularly. He was disoriented. Uh, at one point, he voted yes when people told him to vote no, and he had to change his vote. And he ultimately retired. Uh, he left office, to give you perspective, Dad Cochran left office April 1st, 2018, and it wasn't a whole lot longer after that. It, it was uh, just over a year later, May 30th, 2019, that he died at 81. I suspect that the same thing will happen with Dianne Feinstein. The problem here is is twofold. one. Uh, On the left, they tend to protect the ones that they need, so they're protecting uh, John Fetterman. I mean, they're revising the words that he says. They're they're putting words in his mouth he didn't say and taking from him words he did say to make him sound coherent when he's not coherent. He had a stroke. I get it. He had a stroke, and he's struggling with, with, with words. He's struggling putting words together. I do sometimes, too. Lord knows I speak three hours a day every day on this show and sometimes have a problem. But he's a United States senator in a hearing asking questions, and he can't ask a coherent question. And the media is cleaning up behind him. But for Diane Feinstein, they're putting it all on display because she is dispensable to them, because she's not as liberal as they want her to be. She has stymied them on legislation. They have revenge because of the way she chaired the Judiciary Committee. They don't like it that she sat out for a while. They want her gone, and they're willing to throw her under the bus and expose her in ways they refuse with Fetterman. The Senate Drool Caucus has always been a thing. There have always been vegetables in the Senate caucus. There have always been people who are past their prime in the Senate caucus. There are always people in the Senate who are out of their minds, struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's, struggling to, 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 to just get through the day, not knowing where they are, being led around by staff. Strom Thurmond, towards the end, let me tell you, Strom Thurmond at the end, I don't know that he knew where he was. But Strom despite all of his issues, largely was given a pass by everyone, Democrat and Republican. It's just the inconvenient ones. And so there's a sadness there I, I, I for, for the level of disrespect. It's it's kind of sad to see the level of disrespect towards someone like Diane Feinstein, who for a long time was a hero of the left, but they've moved further left than she is, and now they've turned on her. And also, it's, it's kind of sad how, I mean, I feel badly for John Fetterman, clearly still suffering the effects of that massive stroke. But while I feel bad for him, I don't have a ton of sympathy because he and his team lied and covered it up. They refused to admit how bad it was because they were so desperate to save that seat for the Democrats. Now the Democrats are stuck with a man who can't make coherent words come out of his mouth. And they're okay with that. They are completely okay with that. But it's also kind of sad that these people view themselves as indispensable. There are no indispensable people. There just aren't. None of us are indispensable. Um, I am mindful that what I do for a living, I have people who, it, if if I screw up, they don't get paid. I don't get paid, they don't get paid. And I, I get that. um, and, and I think they get that too. It is kind of weird, kind of intimidating. I, I mean, I'll be real honest with you. It, it dawned on me last night. I was watching. Uh, So Netflix has this series on golfers. It's actually a very good documentary series on golfers called Full Swing. And they they did one on, on Joel Damon last night. I, or I shouldn't say last night. I watched it last night. Joel Damon is 35 years old from Washington State. He's a golfer. He's a very good golfer who thinks he's a very terrible golfer. And all the people on the on the PGA Tour say if the dude would just get it in his head that he was good, he'd be amazing. But he constantly talks himself out of it. He, it's like he's he's got this, this hang-up about actually being successful. But he made this comment about paying his caddy. His caddy's his best friend and that uh, he's got to actually make money or his caddy doesn't get paid. And, and the caddy made this comment about how he was um, dependent on his livelihood, was dependent on this guy, Joel Damon, showing up and hitting golf balls. And better hit them good or they don't get paid. I, I, I relate. Y'all have no idea how much I relate to that these days. But it's also this weird thing for members of the Senate who think they're the indispensable people that like I, for my business, am the indispensable person. If I die, the business goes away. If Dianne Feinstein dies tomorrow, someone else from California will come along. None of these people are indispensable, but they get to Washington, and they are made to feel indispensable, and they don't know when to let go. And when you're at that age where you kind of know there's nothing left except this, it's death or this, you want to linger on. But who around Dianne Feinstein is looking at this thinking this is healthy for her? Who around you, well, we know who around John Fetterman is thinking this is healthy for him. It's not. It's not. But that's why the Senate Drool Caucus exists, because people go to Washington, they get to be old or infirmed, and decide they're indispensable, and the people around them like the access to power, and so no one but the voters has it within them to tell them, buddy, it's time to pack it up and go home. Lady, time to go back to California. Get your affairs in order. Nobody wants to do that. But most of them get covered up except for poor old Diane Feinstein because she's no longer useful to the left and they're ready for her to go. So we can expect more, not less, of these stories to come out until she finally goes. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets, the highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness, 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference, and I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Brand sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something of substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot or in the during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Bolin Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews right now. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, it is kind of funny when you get on your own channels, conservatives get on conservative channels, liberals get on liberal channels, progressives on progressive channels, and they get to say whatever they want, and they're not really challenged and occasionally say some amazing stuff. This is Debbie Wasserman Schultz on MSNBC.
1: When uh, Arizona did the same to uh, to their immigrants in their in their state, he's going
0: to devastate our economy tourism construction
1: agriculture
0: i mean you're going to have vegetables rotting in the fields you're going to have construction
1: sites that will lie dormant uh, or certainly will struggle to get workers to be able to uh to, to to help make sure that they can make progress the tourism is it tourism and restaurant industry in particular you know, rely on the on these
0: workers when uh Arizona- she's talking about illegal aliens it is amazing. You have a sitting member of the United States House of Representatives, Debbie Washerman-Soltz, goes on MSNBC and says, Florida's economy is going to be devastated. You'll have vegetables rotting in the fields unless he allows illegal immigrants to come. Literally, the, the cry on, on the screen while she's talking says, undocumented immigrants, that is illegal immigrants, fearful about new Florida law that would allow them to be deported and requires mandatory e-verify. That, that's that's the deal here. That essentially what the Democrats are saying is that we need illegal aliens. That's why they're keeping the border open, because they think that otherwise work won't get done. It, it is amazing when you allow the Democrats to open their mouths about this stuff. Remember Hank Johnson, who thinks Guam would tip over. He's put too many people on it. Those folks coming across the border are the ones who are helping to put food on our table. Without them, we're not able to eat. We would have nobody taking care of the construction of our homes, nobody cleaning up in the hospitals. That's Hank Johnson. The illegal aliens—they're the ones—they're the ones doing all the work. They're the ones cleaning up the hospitals. They're the ones picking the crops. Tom Milanowski from New Jersey says illegal aliens are needed in the United States to mow our beautiful lawns. It is interesting to me, it's the party of slavery that wants illegal aliens to come do these jobs, is it not? Is, is there some deep level of irony? I mean, for me, I find it ironic that the party of slavery, the Democratic Party, is now the party that says, well, we need the illegal aliens to be here to mow our lawns and pick our crops and build our buildings and mop our floors. I mean, they just, <laughs> they haven't changed. 150 years, they haven't changed. They still want somebody to come here and do the work for them, <laughs> pay them. I mean, they don't even want it to make the minimum well, They're they're being paid under the radar. Come on, it's just it is you 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 can't take the Democrats out of the underlying racism. That there are no Americans who will do these jobs. You may have to pay them a little more to get them to do the job, but there's no legal immigrant here who would do the job. I mean, you you can't incentivize a legal immigration system so that these immigrants can come here and pick the crops. By the way, you know, it was the unions in the 1960s. We used to have a labor program in the country where people could come across the border. It was very easy to get in. They would stay for up to six months. They would pick the crops, do the work, go back to Mexico, take the money with them. And the unions in the late 60s in the Johnson administration killed the program. It was a very, very good program that allowed these migrant laborers to come across the country legally and be tracked, do the work, and go home and take the money with them. They didn't have to come here, stay here, and hide from authorities. But unions got rid of it claiming they were stealing jobs for unions. Now the Democrats are like, we need them. We need them to come mow our grass. Can't get unionized labor to do it. It'd be too expensive. Oh, the Democrats, they never, ever learn. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the nation. And I want to take a phone call and then I got to get into the story. I, I, Y'all, it's I exercise self-control today. Because I wanted to talk about the story out of the gate. It was too glorious not to, but there were actually real relevant news items. So before I get to all of it, though, i got to go to Lynn. Lynn, welcome to the program. How are you?
1: I'm good, Eric. I have a question about Setterman. It's clear he has a disability, and we have the ADA law in our country. And I can guess that almost all the questions the senator asks during these hearings are prepared by staff. So first of all, is it allowed for his staff just to prepare questions on poster boards that he can just hold up and let the uh, person he's asking read the question? Um, And that could be an ADA accommodation. And if it is allowed, why doesn't his staff do this and avoid the embarrassment or to just get the limelight over whether or not he is competent to do the job.
0: I, so I don't know if they can. Yeah. And the odds are it's the staff prepared him and prepared questions. Um, and but I, 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 my guess is that they could do it, but he would rather look like he's trying than that. Everything is being fed by staff. Um, because then he becomes replaceable, and you just keep the staff. And so, I, I my guess is that there's an ego element involved there. But I mean, it, it's they should. Um, I mean, he, he's he's kind of not serving his constituents by doing what he's doing. Uh, it's it's embarrassing. I do also feel bad for him, friends. The, the moment is here. I get to talk about this story. I don't want to build it up too much, but it's just, this is the perfect encapsulation of the story. I stumbled across a video, and and you do need to know, it was an Instagram reel. I stumbled across it. Some professor somewhere talking about this uh, program they did where they invited 15 women to come in before job interviews. And they wanted to study if physical appearance could cause discrimination that's what they said. so they brought these women in and they used um, they used special effects artists and they put scars on their faces visible scars on their faces let them look in the mirror see how the scars were talk to them about the project and on their way out to their job interviews they said we're gonna let's touch up your scars make everything, make sure everything still looks good before you go to the job interviews. And they removed the scars from the women's faces and sent them into the job interviews. And when they came back and they interviewed the women about uh, their feelings of being discriminated against, all the women had these stories of all these little microaggressions of things they felt were slights against them by being women's who had been disfigured, with these scars on their faces and the problem was the scars had been removed and the women did not know the scars had been removed and the guy says we extrapolate that um, there's a lot of self-perception in the victimization and in victimization a lot of people who have lack some confidence they feel more victimized than others I- i've got a friend as a matter of fact uh, a woman who's an engineer went to went to college with her. She's helping my daughter who's interested in college and engineering and stuff. And she was telling she she wanted to get her business qualified as a uh, minority owned business as a as a female business owner. She can qualify for special benefits with the federal government. And she didn't want to leave herself at a competitive disadvantage. But to do it, she had to fill out an application to address the number of times she was discriminated against as a woman. And she says she never viewed it that way. She never viewed things that happened in her life as discrimination. It was if something bad happened, found a way to get around it. And she had to call her former employer and say, can you like review the things that, that maybe I should have thought were victimized things? And, and had to work with the former employer to come up with a list so she could get qualified. But it was not her mentality to feel like she was a victim. These women who had the the scars put on their faces were made to feel like in some way they were disfigured and therefore things uh, offended them or felt like they were were discriminatory even though when they went into the interviews, unbeknownst to them, the scars had been removed. I tell you all that to get to the story. Michelle Shaheen and Melissa DePino. Michelle Shaheen and Melissa DePino You probably don't know the names, but you probably know what they did. Five years ago, two black businessmen were in a Philadelphia Starbucks. They asked to use the restroom and a white barista at the Starbucks called police who carried the men away in handcuffs. Shaheen was there, Michelle Shaheen, and she caused a scene. She started yelling. They didn't do anything. Another videotaped it. DePino got a copy of the video from the person who videoed it and consulted with Michelle Shaheen, who is black. Michelle DePino is white. And DePino consulted with Shaheen and asked if she should post it, and it went viral on the internet. The tweet that DiPino uh, put up was a public relations disaster for Starbucks. Shaheen, Michelle Shaheen, told Melissa DiPino to put up the video that if Shaheen put it up, most of her followers were overwhelmingly black, which is amen, another day in black America. If Topino put it up as a white woman outraged by it, it would get attention, and it did. Well, the two women connected over that. Topino is divorced, white, 55. Shaheen is black, 36, spends most of her time in Ghana. Uh, When she's in the United States, tends to live in Dallas with a boyfriend. The video was played over 8 million times. DePino went on CNN, accused Starbucks of racism. The CEO apologized. All the stores had to go through racial bias training. And DePino then tracked down Shaheen, trying to process what happened, gain insight from a black woman. They met over friends and they came up with an idea called Privilege to Progress. And the two women started doing lectures to universities and then to corporate America. They posted about Eric Garner, the, the black man choked to death by police in Staten Island, who said, I can't breathe. They, they, DePito was a marketing professional, also very liberal. She was reading books by black authors about racism and white privilege And she wanted to connect. Shaheen studied health policy in college. She entered corporate health care. She became dismayed, however, at the idea of profiting from helping people over injustice. She started going back more and more to Ghana. And she started realizing that what she was doing in her mind wasn't right. But they persisted for a while. And after the George Floyd incident... They started getting invited into corporate boardrooms. They started getting invited to participate in DEI initiatives. By late 2020, the women were doing weekly paid engagements at Google, Spectrum, Ikea, Yale, MIT, Tufts, the United Nations. Shaheen told audiences, white people are tired of hearing the story. We're tired of living it. If you want to see racism dismantled, you have to show up and have the conversation. DePino chimed in, the word privilege is triggering for for white people, but my partner Sheen doesn't dislike you or your privilege. She just wants it too. The duo nearly doubled their joint speaker rate to $10,000 total per appearance. In 2021, each of them netted $100,000 doing DEI talks. Sheen did a lot of the work remotely. She lived for months in Accra, Ghana, reconnecting with family members Disconnected from news on police violence, Depino got her divorce, moved into her new boy with her new boyfriend. In fact, they say they trusted each other so much that Shaheen would house sit for Depino and even had the code to get into her marijuana safe. Ah, but there was a problem. As they started doing it, living in Ghana, Shaheen started realizing that DiPino was a microaggressive person. They started having differences. Shaheen said she was growing faster, thinking about it deeper, at a more complex level. I told Depino the pain I was feeling and how we're making money off of this pain, and her response was cold. Depino said she saw it as she was setting boundaries. I respected them. I never told her to do anything she didn't want. The two women had always split evenly, but in 2019, Shaheen suggested she deserved more than DePino because the venture would have gotten little traction without a black woman on board. She said DePino disagreed that she did more background work, nonprofit filings, managing money, posting to the social media account. Shaheen. Quickly back down, but now she feels like it was an aggression towards her. I was reading and learning about equity and business models. (laughs) If she wanted an equity model of pay, I'd be open to discussing it, DePino said. She was also the president. I was the vice president. She could have instituted one on her own. I didn't know she felt wronged. And then they started to fray. Shaheen in Africa realized she thought she was exploiting her trauma. Someone said it to me yesterday, no one asks the sexual assault survivor to retell their story, so why are black people expected to tell theirs? And DePino replied, you have to do what feels right to you. I support you completely. Shaheen texted saying she felt unheard, and there were microaggressions. One involved a, success, a suggestion by DePino that they visit a lynching memorial in Alabama together. As if we haven't had numerous conversations about how traumatizing it is for me to witness violence against black bodies, Shaheen wrote. She called DePino manipulative. I mean, you can see where this went. DePino gets canceled. Jaheen feels like she's a victim of racism by the woman she worked with. These people are miserable. And what I find so funny in all this is it's it's the white lady who just wants to accommodate everything, and she gets canceled along the way as the other woman in Africa has her friends tell her, you're being used by the white lady. The colonizer is using you. It just, it ends. My goodness, they plotted how to publicly end their story there was so much to untangle, social media, a website, a bank account, corporate contacts, networks of activists that saw them as a pair. DePino emailed Shaheen saying, I always planned on making the organization independent of the two of us and dedicating my time to fully developing it. But Shaheen wanted it dissolved. She took over the Twitter platform and called DePino not honest and committed and had no commitment to ending colonialism. You see how this works. You can never in the revolution, unless the revolution is like the American revolution where it's a conservative revolution, like the American colonists, they argued they were already British and they were entitled to rights then existing. The French were a liberal revolution, a progressive revolution. They wanted to tear up the old order and start something brand new. And with the American revolution, the American revolutionaries, they got what they thought they were entitled to. And that was the end of the revolution. With the French revolutionaries, you could never get further ahead. They wanted to just disrupt the new order and then the new order, then the new order. Then once people start lobbing off each other's heads, there's no way to escape. These two women fell apart, arguing, squabbling with each other. They had to turn to lawyers to resolve the situation. And then they finally parted ways acrimoniously, and they moved on. The revolutionaries always get consumed by the revolution, ruined them their friendship over money squabbling. The feeling of victimization and, and the poor lady in Africa just felt like the, the woman who was helping her, the woman who reached out to her, the woman who sought her advice on how to make public the video from Starbucks that put the two of them together, that somehow that woman was bad and abusing her. Maybe, just maybe, like the women with the scars on their faces the scars were removed, maybe – don't treat yourself as a victim. Get out of the victim mindset. Instead of wanting to be a victim or a victimship ally, and maybe just own your life, and you'll be a happier person. But this non-stop victimization and the idea that you're a victim. You know what it does? It just perpetuates your own victimization, and no one else really cares. Just you. Now, you need to care about your portfolio and how you can manage it with the topsy turvy world. You might want to reach out to Advantage Gold and see if they can help you. They've got lots of strategies and tips to use precious metals. 800 450 2566 is their number. Call Advantage Gold today. Get their free gold IRA investment Get Learn how to use precious metals as part of your retirement strategy. They're TrustLink's number one highest rated gold company seven years in a row. 800 450 They want to educate you on how to use precious metals. You can get them from them. You're not getting certificates that you claim that you own some sort of precious metal. You're actually getting them. And, you know, some come, I didn't even know this, that sometimes companies just give you a certificate, like a stock certificate, say, hey, this person owns X, Y, and Z gold. You actually want to own it. You actually want it as part of your portfolio, as part of your retirement, part of your your uh, investment strategies call advantage gold 800-450-2566 get the free gold IRA investment kit if nothing else but talk to them about using gold precious metals as part of your portfolio to ease the ebbs and flows of inflation see if they're a good fit for you 800-450-2566 one more time 800-450-2566 welcome it is eric erickson here friends we got to talk about kentucky uh, yep there there's actually news that that's worth knowing. The future of the Republican Party runs through Kentucky. Daniel Cameron is the Republican nominee for governor. He is the first non-white candidate for governor in Kentucky history. You know what's so interesting is a woman won the mayoral spot in Jacksonville, Florida, a Democrat, and the media nationally has made a massive deal out of this being the first woman to become mayor of Jacksonville, Florida. That It's a major milestone, according to the media. They've all ignored Daniel Cameron. Uh, He's the 51st Attorney General of Kentucky, and he is the first major party, well, he's the first candidate for governor who's not white in Kentucky history. He happens to be a Republican. He's a good dude. He's from Texas, moved to Elizabethtown, Kentucky as a kid. And he is challenging um, the incumbent Democratic governor, Annie Bashir, who locked down his state and is trying to walk a tightrope of being very progressive without seeming so. Uh, Cameron, for a long time, was considered a major rock star, a future successor to Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Uh, had uh, I guess has a relationship with McConnell. Also has a good relationship with Rand Paul. He will be uh, hopefully the governor of Kentucky by the end of this year. Uh, he is only thirty seven years old. I kind of am at this point where I hate having these people get elected and they're younger than me. But keep an eye on this guy, and I hope he wins. We've invited him to the gathering in August. I hope he'll be able to come. I invited him before he won the nomination. I was hoping he would win, and he did. Uh, He beat Kelly Craft, who was Donald Trump's U.N. ambassador, and also uh, beat Randy Quarles, who was the acupuncture. Great guy in and of his own right. Uh, Didn't have a strong campaign. Uh, And what was so surprising about Cameron's win last night is that they called it almost immediately after the polls closed. He just swept big. Uh, Just an amazing guy. Kelly Craft, not from Kraft Mac and Cheese, but I think the Kraft boating family, she was... The U.N. ambassador, her family has a lot of money. DeSantis, very weirdly, endorsed Kraft yesterday. My guess is it was uh, because of her donor relationships. Um, But uh, she lost. Daniel Cameron won. And hopefully he will go on to be governor of the uh, Commonwealth, I guess I should say, of Kentucky. Um, And that's good for the GOP. The future of the GOP running through Kentucky last night.